0: you <laughs> You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen.
1: Thank you, James. And welcome, everyone, to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're focusing on some of the new legislative changes set to take effect on January 1st. So stay with us today to learn about new laws impacting mandatory arbitration agreements, the codification of the Dynamics ABC test, and what policies you'll need to have in your handbook in 2020. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal.
1: Welcome back, everyone. In October of this year, the governor of our state, California, signed into law the last of the legislative changes for 2019. This means starting January 1st of 2020, employers and employees alike will be subject to a whole host of new laws. So for today's show, we're going to be talking about a few of the most impactful changes and what to be aware of as we usher in a brand new decade. A couple things, though, before we start, I want to make sure everyone understands we are talking about new laws coming into effect in january of 2020 and i also want to make sure that you understand that our focus for today is going to be how these new laws are going to impact private as opposed to public employers and employees so let's start out by taking a look at one of the most controversial uh, new laws that we have ab5 i also want to say we're not going to go over everything that's come in of course because we don't have time so i've just picked some of the uh the controversial ones and the ones that I think are very important to be aware of as we come into the new year. So the first one as I said, let's go through it, AB5, worker status, employees and independent contractors. So one of the first waves of new legislation that was signed by the governor in the past legislative session was this bill. With a lot of exceptions, it codifies the holding in a controversial case called Dynamics. The Dynamics case was decided in 2018, and it redefined the test that employers must use to determine whether or not an individual qualifies as an independent contractor or an employee. So pre-Dynamics, businesses used what was called a multi-factor test. It was known as the Borrello test. And they used that to determine whether or not an individual qualified as an independent contractor or as an employee. So with the Barillo test, an employer could look to 11 Barillo factors. Chief among those was whether or not the employee had control uh, or the right to control the worker, both as to the work that was being performed, the manner and the means in which it was performed as well. This was also a factor that was singled out by our uh, Department of Industrial Relations as particularly significant, which had the effect of making it the single most important factor and one that most employers relied on, this idea of control. So Dynamics simplified the analysis. So it did away with all the 11 factors and pared it just down to three basic questions, finding that if an employer can affirmatively establish a the worker is free from the control and direction of the employer in connection with the performance of the work under contract and in fact b the worker performs work that is of course outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business and c the worker customarily engages in an independently established trade and if all that if all that works if all that is true then the worker can be properly classified as an independent contractor now AB 5 was enacted to, quote, codify the decision in the Dynamics case and clarify its application, unquote. However, in my opinion, it really does nothing more than muddy the waters (laughs) and once again add confusion to what was, for the better part of a year, a pretty straightforward analysis. In any case, this bill provides that the ABC test will remain in effect but that if a court rules that the three-part test cannot be applied, then the issue of whether an individual is an employee or an independent contractor is then to be determined by applying the Barilla factors. Now. This bill also flat out exempts a wide range of occupations from the ABC test from the get go, so instead of providing that these uh, in, in, instead of providing that these exempted occupations, of course, would continue to be governed by Barillo, the exceptions include, among other things, uh, a lot of licensed professions such as licensed insurance agents, certain licensed healthcare professionals, registered securities brokers or dealers, investment advisors direct sales salespersons, real estate licensees, commercial fishermen, workers providing licensed barber or cosmetology services, and others, they quote as performing work under a contract for professional services with another business entity or pursuant to a subcontract in the construction industry. So that's a lot. And what does it all mean? Overall, I think AB5 really means that employers are now going to be very clear. They're going to need to be very, very clear and to understand the accepted occupations so that they can be sure that they apply the correct test when they're attempting to classify an individual as an employee or an independent contractor. You need to keep in mind also that the ABC test is really an all-or-nothing test. All three factors have to be met if you're using the ABT. ABC test for the individual to be classified as an independent contractor, while the Barillo test requires a weighing of the facts against a lot of various factors. Overall, really my best advice is to seek legal counsel at this point. If you are an employer or an employee attempting to determine which classification test should be used um, to classify you or before making classification decisions. It's just super complicated at the moment, hopefully, as this legislation works through and it it, uh, gets applied and it works through our system. It is, of course, likely going to be litigated, um, which will help in the long run give us all a a more clarified view of what the uh, statute actually stands for. All right, that's AB 5. Let's move on to AB 9 which I think is significant as it impacts the Department of Fair Employment and Housing's statute of limitations for bringing a claim of harassment, discrimination, retaliation. So the existing DFEH deadlines for filing or statute of limitations for filing claims of harassment, discrimination, retaliation is one year. AB 9 extends that deadline from one year to three years. Um, And that's from the date of the last act of harassment, discrimination, or retaliation, of course, unless an exception applies to extend that. With AB9, I think it's really significant because three years is a long time. So employers are going to really need to be diligent about documenting complaints from employees and organizations' response to those complaints. I think that document retention policies are going to need to be amended to reflect this new time limit to prevent premature discarding of possibly relevant documents, such as complaints, investigations, or, or resolutions. And then documentation of performance issues, disciplinary actions, and termination decisions are really going to need to be more accurate in that they that they reflect what was actually happening at the time of the incident. So in certain cases, you're going to need to make sure, at least as far as documentation goes, I think the exact words that were used, what were the steps that were taken and the legitimate reasons for taking those actions, meaning disciplinary actions should really be tied as much as possible to policy violations and which policy violations were in effect at the time. You need full names of the individuals that were involved or interviewed. I can't tell you how many times now with even just a one-year statute of limitations, it's difficult when somebody says, oh yeah, Barbara was involved and so was Tom and I think Pete was there. Well, try and go back a year and figure out who those, who you know all of those people are without a last name or more context is really difficult. And now we're going back three years, and in a company that has maybe high turnover, that could really be difficult. So I think all of those factors are going to play into that. All right, moving right along we have AB-51. AB-51 is another one like AB-5 that has caused a lot of confusion and a lot of consternation. So AB-51 is a prohibition on mandatory arbitration agreements. So we've talked about arbitration agreements on the show before, and if you want to hear more about arbitration agreements, you can check out episodes 11 and 12 on our website. A few things about arbitration agreements before we really get into AB-51. In an employment setting... Arbitration agreements are a contract between employers and employees, wherein each agrees to waive their constitutional right to a jury trial and instead agree to have their dispute arbitrated in a private setting before a private judge who can be either a retired judge or an attorney. Arbitration decisions in and of themselves are binding final rulings that can only be challenged under limited circumstances. So, one of the things to really keep in mind is that arbitration agreements do not limit an employee's right to bring claims against an employer for alleged violations of California Labor Code or the Fair Employment and Housing Act. That's really important. They do not limit an employee's right to bring a claim. Arbitration agreements only limit the forum where the claims will be adjudicated, meaning either a private setting in arbitration or a public setting in civil court. Okay, now, AB 51 prohibits employers who are not subject to the Federal Arbitration Act from requiring applicants or employees to agree as a condition of employment to sign a mandatory arbitration of employment-related claims, which means that if your employer is not subject to the Federal Arbitration Act, they can no longer require you to sign an arbitration agreement as a condition of employment. But it doesn't... Uh, prohibit an employer from asking an employee to voluntarily sign an arbitration agreement. So if the employer is not subject to Federal Arbitration Act, they can't require you to sign the arbitration agreement, but they can't ask you to voluntarily sign it, which means you get to choose. And in some situations, I'm not going to go one way or the other on arbitration agreements. You can listen to our past shows. I, I think in some circumstances, maybe maybe it's appropriate It all depends on you and how you feel about it. You just need to understand that as an employee, that's a significant right. The constitutional right to a jury trial, a trial uh, in front of your peers, is significant and important. And you should be informed um, and understand what you're waiving when you're asked to waive that right. Now, what this does not apply to, it does not apply to... Post dispute settlement agreements, meaning if you've had a claim against an employer, it's been litigated and you're selling and you're settling it out, it's not going to apply, nor is it going to apply to any negotiated severance agreements. So if you get a severance agreement that has an arbitration provision in it, that's going to be okay. And as I said, it does not apply to uh, employers subject to the Federal Arbitration Act. Now, Um, because the bill doesn't apply to employers subject to the federal arbitration, the impact of the bill is kind of uncertain. There are a lot of prior bills like this that attempted similar restrictions on arbitration, but they were always vetoed by uh, by Governor Brown based on federal preemption. So simply put, federal preemption, it's a legal doctrine allowing federal law to take precedence over or to displace altogether state law in certain matters of national importance, such as interstate commerce. So obviously, our new governor sees things differently. And by signing AB 51, it's going to likely force the issue to be decided by the courts in the years to come. So we are about halfway through our show. Want to take a quick break right now. So stay with us. More on these new laws for 2020 when we come back.
0: The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmeen, who was...
1: Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach.
0: Or if that resume was from someone who i worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone... Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals. But I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council.
1: If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us. Like us. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It sure means a lot to us, and it ensures that more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back everyone. All right, so we were just talking about AB 51 having to do with uh, the ability of an employer to ask you to sign an arbitration a mandatory arbitration agreement as a provision or a condition of employment. A couple of things I want to I want to wrap up with AB 51 before we move on. I want you to understand that this bill is not being applied retroactively. So if you've already signed an arbitration agreement as a condition of employment, that agreement is still going to be valid. If your employer is subject to the Federal Arbitration Act, they will be—they will still be able to condition your employment on the signing of an arbitration agreement after this bill becomes effective on January 1st of 2020. So, the Federal Arbitration Act—we could get into that all on its own—but the Federal Arbitration Act, um, whether or not applies. Um, it really means it, it involves any arbitration agreement that's in writing and relates to maritime transactions or a transaction involving interstate or foreign commerce. So that's a interstate commerce analysis uh, on the business level, but just understand that if you're being asked to sign an arbitration agreement, you might have some questions there about whether or not they're still allowed to do that, and that has to do with whether or not the business is subject to the Federal Arbitration Act. So... um. As I said, nothing in the bill uh, prevents an employer not subject to the Federal Arbitration Act from asking employees to voluntarily sign an arbitration uh, agreement, but again, you want to make clear, um, if you're an employer and you're doing that, that uh, the employment is not conditioned on having the employee sign and that the employee will not, of course, be retaliated against if they refuse to sign. Now, if you're just uncertain whether your business is subject to the Federal Arbitration Act, you really should contact legal counsel. The same thing if you're an employee and you have questions. Okay, let's move on. Got a couple more I wanna try to get to uh, by the end of the show. Next up is AB 749, which is no rehire limitations. This is really important to know both as an employee and an employer. So this is an an important bill if your organization enters into any post dispute uh, settlement agreements, meaning if you've been sued and you're attempting to settle a a dispute, or if you, use severance agreements um, to settle out with employees or severance them out of employment. The bill prohibits settlement or severance agreements from containing a provision that would prohibit the employee from working for the employer, its parent company, subsidiary, division, or affiliate, or a contractor of the employer. Now, it does not apply if the employer makes a good-faith a determination that the employee engaged in sexual harassment or sexual conduct. So if you've done an investigation, if you're doing a severance out or you're uh, doing a settlement that involves sexual harassment, if there's a good faith determination the person's been found to have engaged in sexual harassment or sexual assault, this no rehire limitation is not gonna apply. It also provides that an employer is not required to continue employment or rehire a person so long as there is a legitimate non-discriminatory or non retaliatory reason for terminating or refusing to hire the individual. Now, as an employee, you want to know your rights when signing settlement or severance agreements, including this provision. And as an employer, you're going to want to make sure that your settlement uh, and your severance agreements are not... Broiler plate, um, but they're tailored to each situation so that you're not making a mistake in including something such as this no higher limitations when you shouldn't. Uh, all right. Moving on. AB778 sexual harassment training deadline. Last year... Uh, SB 1343 required employers with five or more employees to provide two hours of sexual harassment training to all supervisory personnel. It was in keeping with existing law. But it also required one hour of sexual harassment training to all non-supervisory personnel before January 1st of 2020. This bill extends that deadline into January 1st of 2021. Now, there are some exceptions to this deadline for seasonal and construction workers subject to collective bargaining agreements. You'll need to review the bill or seek legal counsel if either of those exceptions apply to you or your business. Now, why? Why this new bill? So since um, SB 1343 applied to small businesses, it mandated that the Department of Fair Employment and Housing publish free training materials to lessen the impact of financial burden on small in uh, small businesses by this training burden So, or training requirement. This doesn't happen with the statutory deadline, so an extension was necessary. In other words, they didn't get the materials ready to go by 2020, so they had to extend it. Now, because a lot of employers attempted to comply with the original January 1st, 2020 deadline, the bill does provide that employers who provided training in 2019 not required to provide refresher training and education again until two years thereafter, which would be 2021. Now, before you... Make any decisions, make sure that you understand when your training was and when the bill allows you. If you tried to comply, make sure you're within those time frames before you decide not to comply with any training strictures that you've already got going on. All right. Lastly, a few bills that are going to require employers to update their existing policies and handbooks. The first one is AB 1223, requires that an employer permit an employee to take a leave of absence with pay, not exceeding 30 days in a one-year period for the purpose of organ donation. It also requires a private or public employer to grant an employee an additional unpaid leave of absence, not to exceed 30 business days in a one-year period for the purpose of organ donation employers must maintain existing health care coverage through the leave period. So that's one thing that's going to require your uh, policies and handbooks to be updated. And the other one is SB 83, Paid Family Leave. This bill extends maximum the maximum paid family leave benefit to eight weeks as of July 1st, 2020. But you need to keep in mind that Uh, Paid family leave is a state benefit, not an employer-provided leave requirement. So if you have paid family leave based on uh, uh, state uh, strictures, you're going to want to make sure your policies are updated. SB one eight eight discrimination in hairstyles. So SB one eight eight amends the definition of race within the Fair Employment Housing Act to include traits that are historically been associated with race, including but of course not limited to hair texture and protected hairstyles. Now the statute defines what protected hairstyles includes, and that it's limited to uh, not limited to excuse me braids, locks, and twists. The statute itself is a lot more in detail. You want to make sure you take a look at it. It also prohibits the, this bill also prohibits race neutral grooming practices that would disproportionately impact persons of color. So policies that prohibit natural hair, afros, braids, and twists without any reason uh, having to do with safety or some other exception. So you want to check that, make sure that your grooming policies are up to date. SB 4, so, uh, excuse me, 142, lactation room. So we've seen in the last several years, a lot of legislation coming through on lactation policies. And this is one more refining of that. So SB 142 expands on existing lactation laws by adding additional requirements. for example, that a private location that's not a bathroom be provided close to the employee's workspace with a sink with running water, refrigeration close to the employee's workspace, surface to place, lactation equipment, seating, electricity, these sorts of things. It also requires the employer to provide a written policy that must be given to the employee when they're hired all employees when they're hired, and when they request uh, parental leave. Now, there is an undue hardship exception in the statute for employers with less than 50 employees, but these employers must still make a reasonable effort to provide lactation space. It also provides that employers who cannot provide space or break time um, must provide the employee with a written response to the request for uh, space or a break to lactate. All right. We've run out of time. That is our show today. I want to encourage all of you to make sure that if any of these new laws are impacting you or your organization that you seek legal counsel, go and look at the statute yourself. Make sure you understand the law. Ignorance of the law is never a defense. That's our show for today. I hope you found our legislative update useful. If you want to learn more about some of the new laws taking effect in January, you can visit our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast and click on today's episode. I want to thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspective's team extraordinaire, our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Michelle Hardy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar.